Canucks fans, welcome into episode 143 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. It feels, uh, I'm still trying to get used to this. No game flights, uh, to start off the episode or anything, uh, so we can get right into the old how you do's here. Yeah, I mean, again, I know we always say off air, let's not talk about the weather during the intro, but Uh-oh. I mean, spring seems like it is upon us which is nice it's supposed to get up to like 33 degrees this weekend which i'm really looking forward to and yeah outside of you know a little trip i've got planned next week to go to portland life's been good out in sawasan what about you in the west end pete that's awesome i thought that i don't i've seen you recall though doug you're not like a, a big heat guy like 33 that's like i just pictured doug melton yeah i don't i i don't like the heat i i'm definitely i i prefer to be cold but I do live really close to a great beach, um, so I might hit the beach up on the weekend and dip my toes in the ocean type of thing. But other than that, man, yeah, I, 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 I definitely prefer to be too cold than to, to be too hot. I'm the I'm the other way around. So so bring on the peat, the heat. Uh, bring on the peat. The heat for Pete. Uh, Portland sounds dope. I love Portland. It's been a while since I got down there. Yeah, man, things are good. It's been. Um, it's been busy, but uh, like like a good busy, you know, like just like work's busy and social activities are busy and uh, trying to get outside and go for runs and bike rides. And uh, just all of a sudden every day it's like, oh, geez, it's uh, it's time to go to bed already. So, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, things are good. I mean, always look forward to recording. I've got a beer on the go here and a relatively new beer glass. And uh, I'm uh, so, yeah, things uh, things over here pretty good as well. Nice, man. Uh, what are you drinking? And uh, what's uh, the beer glass? I see some uh, colorful lettering on it. Yeah, this is one of those. Um, this is uh, Beavertown out of uh, the UK. Uh, Beavertown Brewery. They got some really cool glasses. So what I did is uh, I got them ordered to my sister's place because they wouldn't ship to here and then uh, got them mailed over to me. Um, I'm drinking a Pilsner from uh, Parkside, uh, my oh, buddy's nice. uh, brewery over there, and uh, Morelli's Italian Pilsner. It's uh, been all about the Pilsners and lagers lately, and uh, first couple sips uh, treating me good. I, on the other hand, made an IPA today, which is the exact opposite of, of Pilsners, but uh, so yeah, going with uh, something a little bit lighter today. Yeah, I feel like when the weather's nice and you're outside and it's hot. A Pilsner is probably your, the most refreshing beer, you know, the winter ales and stuff like that. They're good, <laughs> but obviously we're coming out of winter and coming into spring, eventually summer. So yeah, a nice crisp Pilsner, man. Sounds great. Works for me, man. Works for me. Everybody wants fruit beers right now, but uh, I'm, I'm on the, the Pilsner lager train. Um, Doug, we actually, uh, like we, uh, we haven't recorded for a couple of weeks. We're in that part of the year now where we kind of, record sporadically but i feel like we got a lot of things we're going to talk about uh on this episode of course the draft lottery is is the big one we're going to spend some time on that we'll spend some time on the playoffs uh the abbotsford canucks and a whole bunch of other things uh, that have popped up in the canucks universe it's never boring out here uh you can also follow us online folks i'm at pete underscore gas on twitter and the podcast is at canucks speak you can give me a follow on twitter at Doug Venn and check out the Spotify playlist. It's the Canucks speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Pete and I continue to build the playlist with the outro segment of every episode and another funky jam will be getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. 
And Pete, you edited the last episode, so why don't you tell the people about the outro track you picked for our previous episode? I don't have uh, too much uh, to tell you. I don't have a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, basically, we yammered on for longer than I wanted, so I had to kind of go deep into my bucket of tracks that I want to use on the outro and find something that was about six and a half minutes long. But I had a good one in there. Uh, so I used uh, a, a track called Darkest Light by the Lafayette Afro Rock Band. Uh, it's, again, you know, we put a lot of stuff in here that, like people like to sample like sampling's kind of become a little bit of a uh one of the the vibes in this playlist and as soon as you hear this track kick in you're like oh this track right and it's been used hundreds of times i mean there's just absolutely no shortage of, of people who've used it whether it's like rex in effect or public enemy or ice cube or in too deep or what you know whoever it's just a track that gets used all the time um n not really like a, a lot to tell you about this band i know they're from long island like near where my mom grew up and i know they ended up in france and uh, recorded a bunch of stuff out there but darkest light that horn and that beat in there have been sampled to heck so i thought it'd be kind of a good addition into the playlist yeah i i agree with you with the playlist kind of turning into a bit of a like where'd the sample come from, which I love because it's something you are like, oh, I definitely know this sample. And it was the same thing with this song. I know the sample. I've heard it, like you said, hundreds of times, but I had never heard of the band. I had never heard the original. And, and yeah, I really, really liked it. And I, I totally know what you're talking about, Pete, when you were like, okay, this is the song. This is a perfect <laughs> episode for that, um, where this is a song I want to use for the outro. And then we get to the outro and you and I are yammering too long. And then it's like, ah, fuck. I need to find a different song now because this one's not long enough. But again, like you said, it's nice to have a couple of songs in back in the bag to be able to pull out when you need them, depending on how long our outros go. Yeah, and you've already uh, you're editing this one, and you've already given me the primer on how long our outros should be this time for because yeah, I know you got one there that you're itching to use. So I'll try and keep it to a minimum all my yammering when we when we get to the outro this week. Um, Doug, let's actually before we get into the Canucks stuff, um, let's just uh, just get it out of the way. The playoffs are going on. We're we're recording this on what is today? Today's Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, May 9th. Uh, we're recording this. Uh, so just kind of uh, since we recorded uh, the. First round's over, and we're into the second round. Uh, just kind of, what are your thoughts on the playoffs so far? I mean, they've been extremely entertaining. Uh, I feel the first round, there was more issues with the refing. That doesn't seem to be as big of a topic the second round. I mean, obviously, the Leafs made it to the second round. Now it looks like they're about to get swept by the Florida Panthers, which is great. Um, here's a quick question for you, Pete. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can probably tell me the first three top scorers in the NHL for points in the playoffs. Okay. Um, but do you know who the fourth top point getter is for the, these playoffs in the NHL at the moment? Oh, geez. I don't even know if I can name the top three. I mean, I assume dry saddles in there. Um, and probably he's wanted McDavid's too, which is surprising. Cause I feel like McDavid's had a pretty quiet, like, relatively it feels like he's had a quiet playoff i don't know if it's just because he's not you know blowing the doors off of everybody he's well, two the dry he's saddle tied is, for two dry, dry saddle's, saddle's been amazing been going nuts okay so they're uh three and four so those those two guys are in there um i'm trying to think who's uh 
who's left and who's been uh, lighting it up here right now. Um, well, I would say geez. this guy who's in tied for second in points is public enemy number one in Toronto at the moment. Oh, uh, Matt Kachuk? Yes. At, but number four is an Edmonton Oiler. I'll just give you that. Okay, interesting. Number four is an Edmonton Oiler. Is it um, Evan Bouchard? Wow, yes, Evan Bouchard, which, I, again, when I saw it, I was a little bit surprised. Evan Bouchard is the fourth leading point getter in the playoffs so far with three goals and 11 assists. So I, I kind of heard something about this recently. That's why I went with Evan Bouchard. But if you haven't given me that prompt, I would have probably still been taking stabs in the dark. Yeah, man, he's really uh, he's really blossomed. And I remember, like, that's a guy uh, when the Canucks drafted Hughes that year. That was one of the guys I was really keen on was Evan Bouchard. He was and, and Noah Dobson was another one. It's a great class of defensemen coming out that year, the, the Quinn Hughes year. I mean, I'm still very happy with Hughes. But I mean, Edmonton, if they get something out of Evan Bouchard here now, which which they obviously are all of a sudden when you add in Ekholm and, and you have nurse back there, that's a pretty decent top three they got. Yeah. And again, you know, they kind of had a redundancy with Evan Bouchard and um, man, I always forget this guy's name. He's a local kid. It's the guy they ended up trading to Nashville for Ekholm. Uh, he played for the Leafs, played for Colorado, kind of a power play specialist. Oh yeah, um, I've I've just totally blanked on him too, because <laughs> he's a guy uh, uh, that the Canucks were uh, always uh, apparently yes. rumored to be after as well. And why why has I just blanked on him? Is a Victoria connection with him as well? Anyways, yeah, it'll yeah, come yeah, to yeah. Me. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, I've enjoyed the playoffs so far. I actually think they've been really entertaining. There's been a few blowout games, but it's been going back and forth. Uh, Tyson, Tyson Berry, Tyson Berry, Tyson Berry. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. Another quick question. Uh, what's the biggest surprise of the playoffs so far for you? I mean, the biggest surprise for me is probably that I'm cheering for a final four of Las Vegas, Dallas, Carolina, and Florida, which is about as unexciting uh, a final four as I could possibly get. But that's, that's, that's where we are right now. Uh, biggest surprise of the playoffs, um, I think, uh, in, in one sense, has been the amount of goals getting scored. There have been a lot of kind of blowout games. Um, you know, like, I mean, I use the Carolina Jersey series right now as an example. You've seen 5-1, 6-1, and 8-4. Uh, kind of crazy. Um, also, looking on the same kind of note as that is looking at the goalies. Like, uh, you know, you see guys named Aiden Hill and Akira Schmidt, and now Justin Wall, like coming in. Like, it's it's um, it's kind of a crazy list of starting goalies in the second round. Yeah, definitely the goalies. I don't know three quarters of the goalies that are left in the playoffs. I know Laurent Brossois got injured last night uh, for Vegas, so. It, I don't think he'll be ready for their, uh, the next game against the Edmonton. I, I think I said Dallas, I meant for Vegas. But anyways, yeah, I don't think he's going to be ready for the next game against Edmonton. Obviously, the Kraken is a bit of a surprise, taking out Colorado the first round. And then I think, you know, seemingly just having the most balanced scoring than any other playoff team in currently playing in these playoffs uh, – I think that's a good story. Obviously, I don't want to see Seattle do well, considering how early into their NHL tenure they are, and they are the closest rival distance-wise to the Canucks, and it kind of hurts to see them doing this well. But, I mean, it's kind of a good story. They don't really have that superstar. And then, obviously, to see the Leafs flounder, you know, they oh, wanted yeah. to, the Bruins. They were hoping for the Bruins. 
uh, or sorry, they wanted the Panthers and they were happy that the Panthers beat the Bruins. And now it looks like the Panthers are handing them their lunch. So that series, I, I'm loving that. And I mean, I was cheering uh, I was cheering for Boston that series because I thought they would match up, uh, get better against Toronto. I, and you see the Leafs fans all chanting, we bring, we want Florida. And, and man, that's just something you never do. It's like in Boston when they were chanting, we want the cup in game one against Florida. You just shit like that comes back to bite you. Um, what, what I'm seeing with this Florida-Toronto series is... Toronto, in a lot of way, what it feels like to me, and uh, uh, this is just from the way my observations watching them play, they come out of that series against Tampa. They're riding a high. You hear stories about them drinking Bud Light in the in the the, the room. It's like there's such an emotional release that they finally got over that hill. Meanwhile, Florida wins three in a row against Boston, and then two days later, they're right back at it. Like, they've never had a chance to kind of get out of that business-like mentality, and they just kind of keep going. And I think Toronto kind of went over that hill, kind of got down in this lull. And and from what I was watching, I mean, I know game three went to overtime, but, man, the amount of times Florida was splitting that defense and coming in and just, like, even on the winner with, uh, with Reinhardt there, like, they were just going around Toronto in their own zone. And uh, Toronto, to me, seems pretty flat-footed, and uh, now they find themselves in a hole. Maybe they wake up for Game 4, but I don't know if they can beat uh, a team that's won six in a row, four times in a row. Uh, at least I really hope they don't. But to me, that's what I, I, I feels like watching them is they've used this emotional high to get through Tampa, and it's like, oh, shit, that's not the actual goal. we got to do that three more times, and they've just come out too flat-footed against Florida. Yeah, and again, look, I know we're a Canucks podcast, so we don't want to spend too much time on the Leafs, but I will say this. The Leafs were outplayed, I want to say, in the majority of the games against Tampa. But for whatever reason, Vasilevsky wasn't the normal Vasilevsky, and I think Tampa's just kind of a tired team being to three straight Stanley Cup finals. But they were vastly outplayed, in my opinion, in the majority of those games against the Lightning. And your best players have to be your best players. And right now, Marner... Nylander, Matthews, and I believe Tavares. Yeah, no goals. All of them do not. Yeah, none of them have a goal in the series against the Panthers. And, you, you know, your best players, it's it's a stupid cliche, but your best players have to be your best players. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's, it's a weird playoffs. Like, I mean, I look at the eight teams left. And I don't want Edmonton or Toronto to go through, but they're probably, at least in Canada, the two most interesting. But still, I don't I don't want them to go through. Uh, and, and so, like, I'm, like, looking at the teams left. I'm like, man, like, it's going to be a weird Stanley Cup this year. Like, you, you know, I originally said it was going to be Dallas, New York. Uh, obviously, the Rangers got bounced. Dallas is now down against Seattle. Um, but, I, I mean, fuck, like, uh, there's a chance that it could be a Seattle-Vegas Western Conference Final as of now, right? They're both up 2-1. And, I, I mean... You know, the, the NHL, when you're, you're paying half a billion dollars for, for an expansion team, you, you, you kind of want something with it. It's not like when the San Jose Sharks came in, and I think, like, the expansion rules, I don't have them in front of me, but I seem to recall it was, like, 10 forwards protected, five defensemen, one goalie. Like, San Jose was getting the scraps when they came in, as was Tampa Bay, Ottawa, and Florida, and Anaheim. Like, they weren't getting that much, but... With what Vegas and Seattle is chipping in uh, to to get these teams and to have these great arenas and these crazy fan bases and to see what these teams are doing, it is really good for hockey. 
But it's just also frustrating as all hell, man. I mean, if if the series go the way they're going to go, one of Vegas or Seattle is going to be in the finals. And in Vegas's case, it could be again. And uh, that, that's pretty brutal for me. So regardless, I think it's a weird playoffs. Uh, you know, a lot of contenders got bounced. A lot of teams that were supposed to be better didn't qualify. You know, you see teams like Calgary, Washington, and Pittsburgh not even make it that you're just kind of used to seeing there. And then you see teams like Boston and Tampa and Colorado get bounced. And so, I mean, maybe this is this is a year where you can say there's kind of a bit of a shifting in the NHL and the powers as, as, as teams get older and a lot of young blood, like New Jersey is a great example of a, a team with a lot of young blood and Seattle is going to add Shane Wright at some point as well. And um, maybe we're just really seeing a, a bit of a shift in the NHL, but yeah, a, a weird playoff. So I think that's, um, that's overall my, my take. And also like just going back to Edmonton, what dry settles doing is, is incredible as well. But um yeah, yeah. I mean, goalies. Uh, it, it's 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 a strange one, man. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the games have been entertaining. The, most of the series have been entertaining. Uh, you know, going back to the expansion teams really quickly, I, I do wonder just if we've seen the evolution of today's hockey player in compared to when San Jose was coming in the league, or even going back to when Columbus came back and came in the league where the players are just so much better now. And there are yeah. some guys who are really talented, but just the way the depth charts work out on the teams that are on or the teams that are drafted, they're never good enough to get those top six opportunities consistently. And I think part of why Vegas and now Seattle have seemingly had so much success out the gate is partly because the players of today just are better than they were. And you're right, Pete, absolutely right. The draft, the expansion draft is much more in their favor than when it was when San Jose was coming into the league. But I also think the players are so much better. And you're seeing these guys who are finally getting that opportunity to play top six roles consistently, where on their former team, they're not a bottom six player. So they end up going, getting sent down to the AHL, ripping up the AHL for two years get a call up, and then again, they just can't break into that top six with consistency. So it's nice to see. Clearly, it's created, what, another 20, 48 jobs in the league, which is great for the PA. Um, and yeah, I just think it's the evolution of the, today's hockey player. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly that. I mean, the, the skill that's on display right now is 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 better than anything we've seen, right? So th- that's certainly a part of it too, like the era that we're in. But like a number eight forward on a team is actually pretty good. And a number four defenseman on most teams is actually pretty good as well. So uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Well, let's hope by the next time we record, man, let's hope that the Leafs are out. Uh, I know we're hoping that the Oilers are out. Um, I, we don't buy into that whole cheer for Canada's team because uh, I think that's a whole bunch of nonsense myself. I can't I can't cheer for most of the teams in Canada. Maybe get behind Ottawa a little bit. Maybe Winnipeg, but not this year. But uh, yeah, I just so oh, forget about that. <laughs> I just I'm with I, you. I just, I'm with I just, you. I just can't. But yeah, it'll be weird to see. Uh, probably by the next time we record, we'll be into the final four. We're not really sure when we're recording next, folks. We're kind of just winging it right now until uh we get to the draft and free agency and um we'll just we'll put out a few episodes here or there but um yeah probably by the next time we record we'll be into the final four so uh i'm i'm curious to see what that looks like uh it's going to be a very strange final four even if it's for the teams that i'm cheering for i mean geez that's going to be weird i mean our playoffs though was uh was the draft lottery uh and we saw that yesterday 
and the Canucks ended up exactly where we thought they were, and the fucking Blackhawks, with all the shit that they've pulled, end up getting the first overall pick uh, in Connor Bedard, uh, which uh, I don't think anybody in hockey is happy about. First off, great segue, Pete. Oh, thank you. Seriously, great A segue. So that oh, deserves appreciate to be pointed it. out. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Maybe maybe you can add in a little bit of uh, applause when we do the editing or something right about here. <laughs> I will. I will. But um, yeah, extremely disappointing. The only team that actually moved any like up in the lottery was the Chicago. Every other team is picking exactly where they were thought to have picked. Chicago moves up which means Anaheim moves down a pick, Columbus moves down a pick because Anaheim had the first overall odds. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely disappointing. Uh, Obviously, with the Kyle Beach uh, scandal and cover-up from the Chicago Blackhawks, that's still, you know, that's a black eye that still feels like, you know, it, it was just all this came out yesterday type of thing. And I know a lot of people were saying, on Twitter, you look at some of the penalties that the league has handed down. I mean, the Canucks being one of them with the Roberto Luongo signing where it was a totally legal contract when they signed it, but then they retroactively came back, punished the Canucks. The Devils lost a draft pick for the Yulia Kovalchuk thing. We're going to touch on the Canucks getting fined 50K. Uh, I believe the Phoenix Coyotes lost a draft pick for something about pre-scouting for before the draft or something like that. And yeah. Chicago, which essentially, you know, hid sexual assault gets nothing. And now they get what seems to be the next generational talent. I mean, let's be fair. Bedard's still a prospect, right? He hasn't played a game in the NHL, but the eye test, the scouts, the analytics, they all say that this kid should be great. Uh, and yeah, it just sucks because it seems like, bad behavior is getting rewarded and you know they are just come to the end of the Kane and Taze era they just traded Kane at this year's deadline or maybe I think it was just before the deadline and obviously Taze has pretty much said he's done playing hockey because of some of the effects he's still having with long COVID and they seemingly have been gifted Connor Bedard yeah, man, it's uh, it's super unfortunate. You saw in Chicago how they uh, they they did like two million dollars in ticket sales apparently after uh, winning the lottery as well. So economically, the team is getting this big boost, and uh, um, I just I just can't get excited about it. If it was Anaheim or Columbus, even though Anaheim's in uh, the same division. Uh, I was I I'd put my money on Columbus. Well, I didn't actually literally, but Columbus was where I thought he was going to end up. Um, and and again, it also shows that like there's a lot of the you know you can tank, and all these teams are tanking. But again, it just is a reminder that there's no guarantee that you're going to get the first overall. I mean, I've heard a lot of people in this market talk about how oh Vancouver Vancouver screwed up. They they tanked in lost out on Bedard. It's like, no, you lost out on a higher chance of Bedard. He didn't lose out on Bedard, but you lost out on a higher chance of getting Bedard. And I know, like, as much as it probably pains us here, I I bet fans in Anaheim and Columbus, like, man, remember Anaheim as well? They were the runner-up for Sidney Crosby. Remember that? And they ended up with Bobby Ryan. It was the exact same thing in that lot. Like, so Sidney Crosby and Connor Bedard, like, if you're a diehard Ducks fan, and I have a friend who is over on the island, uh, and it's just like 
like as pissed off as we are, like those fans being like, look, we were that's full on tank modes going with all those teams, but only one team gets first overall. Yeah, you're gonna get you know some good picks uh, with two and three, like Fantilli or Smith or Carlson or whoever. Like you're you're gonna get a good player still, and I know that's the argument for it, but uh, it's there's a lot of chatter out there about how the Canucks messed this up and. And it's like, look, you know, the the I know also the Canucks did miss. I don't know if you saw Jay Pat tweet this, but the Canucks missed the the combo by one number. I don't know if you saw that, which is uh, I did, I did, but, but I, I feel like, and I love Jay Pat. I love Jay Pat, but I I swear I saw someone years ago when it was the Matthews draft. Oh, the Canucks missed out on Matthews by one number. I just feel like that's something that always gets said in these yeah. kind of big drafts. I, I swear when the, it was the Matthews draft and I swear it was the same thing. It's like, Oh, the Canucks missed out by this one number to get Matthews. Or maybe it was the Rasmus, uh, Sandy, not Rasmus, uh, Dal- Darlene. Yeah. Maybe it was yeah. the Rasmus Darlene draft. It was one of I, those two drafts. Where I, I remember that coming out. Yeah. And I don't understand how those combos, uh, combos really no. work, but, um, but I, I mean, it, it, the, 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 for me, it's, you know, you've got, there's tanking but tanking doesn't guarantee it there's just and this is what kind of bothers me that i hear out there is people are saying that the canucks mismanages because they didn't get bedard well there's the element of luck to that could the canucks have maybe gone tank well maybe i mean but again the canucks were never going to be as bad as those bottom three to five teams this year it just wasn't going to happen and i know i've said this before only once in the draft lottery era as a team outside of the bottom five actually picked first overall in the draft lottery era. And that was when the Rangers got Lafreniere. So it is extremely rare. The Canucks were never going to be that bad. And I, I think it's disappointing. I would have loved Bedard. I would have loved to move up in the draft, even if it was to the number two spot. But uh, to to say that the Canucks have blew this and, won a bunch of meaningless games down the stretch. Um, like they just were never going to be bad enough to get in the bottom five. Yeah. I mean, if you look at this Canucks roster and you compare it to the Chicago Blackhawks roster, there's no way unless they traded Pedersen and Hughes and anybody else. I mean, Kuzmenko, if they traded all those guys, then yeah, maybe this roster would have been as bad as the Chicago Blackhawks. Anaheim on paper, I think, has a good roster. That team's just very young, and I think they're still growing. You got Mason McTavish, uh, Jamie Drysdale. Um, Who was injured for most of the year as well. Yeah. Jamie Drysdale was, yeah. He, yeah, he was, and obviously Trevor Zegras. Um, so yeah. they're just a good, young, up-and-coming team. And, you know, to be fair, I don't think Bedard's going to step in next year looking at the current Chicago roster. And, you know, I don't think they're going to make huge strides next year. I think it's going to be, you know, they got a lot of picks this year. They got a lot of picks next year. But it's going to be probably three or four years before we see that team start to ascend. And it, it takes a while. And I, I do want to say this because I do I do think this is worth saying. And, yes, I'm extremely disappointed Chicago won. I it's just the bad behavior thing, but I don't think it's an indictment on the fans of the Blackhawks, and I don't think this is, should be an indictment on the city of Chicago because Chicago is a great sports city. I think having the Blackhawks being relevant in the NHL is a good thing. I just think, unfortunately, with how recent the scandal of what happened to Kyle Beach you know, came out in the way the entire organization at that time. And all those guys are gone now, to be fair. It's a new management group, new coaches, all the players. 
Taze is pretty much said he's retired. Kane got traded. So everybody's gone. Um, but I still think there should have been some actual punishment and some actual accountability for what they did all those years ago by the league. And I think it was cowardice of the league not to do anything. So yeah, when I'm upset about Chicago getting Bedard, it's more on principle than me not thinking that Chicago is a good sports town, that the Blackhawk fans are not super passionate, good fans. I think they are, you know, unless they're in a seven game series against the Canucks then fuck them. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's just, yeah, that's what's frustrating about this. Yeah, and you know what? I, I agree with that. Like, I've I've been to Chicago. I've done sports weekends there. I've been to a Bears, a Blackhawks, and a Cubs game in Chicago. I love the city of Chicago. Uh, but you're right. It's It comes back to the way that organization handle things, and it seems that there hasn't been any repercussions. Uh, this is also the, from what I could tell, I did a little look the other day, and I was kind of surprised by this. Patrick Kane was actually their first ever first overall pick, uh, if you can believe that. And now they get a second one, uh, right as that one is done done in Chicago. So I think that's a little bit of it too. It's like, you know, we've, we've still never had one here in Vancouver and the longest team in the NHL to not get a first round pick. I saw a tweet yesterday. The Canucks are officially the, the longest team to never have a first overall pick. Buffalo's had it three or four times, I believe now. Well, they had Perot, Darlene, and maybe someone else as well in there. Uh, yeah, definitely. They've had a, they've had at least was uh, Lafontaine. Those... Lafontaine. Lafontaine was an Islander. Lafontaine uh, was drafted as an right. Islander. That's he was, right. He yeah. was traded for uh, Howard Chuck as part of like a um, uh, no, sorry, not Howard Chuck. Phil Housley was part of that deal. I okay, think it was. Or, uh, I can't remember. It was one of those. There was a lot of trades that offseason, including Chelios for Savard, and like a lot of moving parts that that offseason but um there might have been another buffalo one we'd have to have to think about was owen power first overall yeah he was yeah i forgot about owen power you're right there you go so there's three for sure yeah and that's our expansion cousins um so yeah um yeah it's it's for me that's frustrating um but so enough of chicago whatever they they got bedard fuck them um Bedard will come to us hopefully when he becomes a UFA and and uh, we can all we can all hang on to that dream for the next seven or eight years. Um, <laughs> do you I don't know how, how familiar I know you've mentioned a couple of guys in in the past before uh, about the draft. Um, I've done a little bit of looking and research over the past week or so just kind of expecting that the Canucks are going to be picking in the 11 or 12 range. Do you have any guys that the Canucks should be looking at? Like, is there anyone that you're kind of thinking right now? Cause I know you usually do. Like I know, you know, I've watched a lot of drafts with you and you've usually got a couple of guys on your brain that, uh, that you're pretty keen on. So who do you think is like maybe a guy that the Canucks could grab at 11? I mean, there, a couple of guys. Yeah. I mean, I've got four guys and I mean, I would be okay. happy if any one of them end up being there. I think one of them, one of them will definitely be there, but I mean, obviously one of the guys that I think a lot of people are looking at and they're hoping will be there, and it depends because some mock drafts, he's going as high as the 15th, 16th pick, and some have him going top six, and that's David Reinbacher, mm-hmm. um, you know, right shot defenseman. He's he's pretty big. He, he's been compared to uh, the German defenseman Detroit drafted a couple of years ago. I can't think of his name. Mo Sider. Mo Marit Sider, that's right. So he's he's compared to him, which I think is good. Uh, the other right shot defenseman that I think will be there for the Canucks to pick, or more than likely will be there for the Canucks to pick, is Axel Sandin Palika. I think he's a guy yep. that Swedish connection, obviously. Um, he 
he's on the smaller side, but he breaks the puck out very well. He's he's kind of like a a junior Quinn Hughes, so to speak, right? A really good puck mover. He's not overly physical. I think he needs to work on his two-way game, but he's a guy that probably will be there for the Canucks. The guy that the more I read about and the more highlights I see, the guy that I'm actually really hoping is there for the Canucks and I hope they draft is Oliver Moore. He's a center. Oh, interesting. Yep, he's uh, a guy who is on my radar as well. Yeah, he's a center. He's considered to be the best skater in this draft. Uh, the kid has got speed for days. Uh, so that's kind of, honestly, like that's probably the guy I'm really hoping is there for the Canucks. And then another guy who seems to be one of the biggest risers in the last, I want to say, two, three weeks. But he's a guy that I have seen be in that, area where the Canucks are picking at 11th, but I've also seen him at like, I'm looking at this mock draft and he's slated to go 16th to Calgary, but it's a guy, Gabe Perot. He's another guy who I think uh, a lot of people are, he could be jumping up draft boards. Uh, and you see this a lot of time with the, the NHL draft. The late risers are often the guys that end up getting taken a lot higher than you think. Marit Sider is a perfect example of a guy who was kind of a late riser who jumped up in Detroit, jumped up and took him, I think, with like the seventh pick or sixth pick overall, where most people pegged him to go, you know, between 15 to 18. Yeah, so for me, um, I, I I really think with this uh, pick, I'm just not keen on a winger, and that's kind of the thing with Gabe Perot. I agree. Now, this, is a, this is a really good draft for, for wingers, you know, like Zach Benson, I think he'll be gone. Uh, by then is is another guy. Um, Dalibor Dvorsky is another big riser, uh, Slovak kid, um, and he. But again, I think he's going to be gone. Just I agree. Like I think I, I I do think like you said. I think Reinbach's going to be gone as well as, as the top defenseman in the draft. I think he's going to go. I do think there's a good chance. Uh, like I, I I just I would only really be looking with the Canucks uh, right now at a defenseman or a center if it's all wingers right there I would actually like to see them trade down uh, a couple spots like if Moore is gone because I agree with you if Moore and Dvorsky are both gone at center which are two guys I think they that there's outs very outside chance they they could they could get there I'd be interested in taking one of those guys um, and and then if it's if it's Sandin Pelika like. You know, there's some mixed reviews about how good he is. Is like, is it a bit of a reach to take him that high? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. There's also another uh, Swedish defenseman uh, as well out, out there, Tom Willander, but that could be a bit of a reach. And, and there's also the Russian defenseman, Mikhail Guliev. Uh, but again, I think both of those guys would be a bit of a reach from where they're currently ranked at the number 11 spot. So. I don't know, like, I'd be just, you know, some of the other names that I've seen kind of uh, that would be interesting picks, Braden Yager uh, out of Moose Jaw, uh, another center, might be a bit of a reach. Colby Barlow is another winger who's bounced up and down the draft. But again, like, some people have him in the top seven or eight, and some people have him in the top 20. Um, I just, I have a tough time getting excited about taking a winger this draft. I agree. I, 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 there are some good wingers, unfortunately. And if you know the Canucks didn't take Lakaramaki last year, maybe I'd be a little bit more open to a winger, uh, uh, to picking a winger over a center or a right shot defenseman. But yeah, to me, I would be prioritizing a right shot defenseman. You have two to pick from. You know, some people, the, the other Swedish kid you mentioned, Wallander. A lot of people have him high. There's also the Russian defenseman. 
um, I'm trying to think of his name off the top of my head here, but a lot of people now. There's the Russian factor, Mikhail Mikhail Guliev, the guy I just said. Uh, no, Shimashev. He's a left shot defenseman, six four, just under two hundred pounds. He's a guy that I know, like Cam Robinson, really really likes, and he thinks he should be in the talk of the top three. Mm. But he's a left shot defenseman, so that obviously yeah weighs more for that the Canucks. Would- to take Pel- Shimashev would that would that would be a real reach. Yes. Uh, that would be uh, uh, that's a good target though if the Canucks were to decide to to trade down. Like how do you how do you feel about that? Like let's say uh, let's say Reinbecker and Sandine Pelika are, are gone. Let's say a couple of those centers that we've talked about like like Dvorsky and Moore are gone, and the Canucks are looking like a, a glut of wingers. And there's some good ones out there. Like let's say guys like. You know, I, I think Benson will be gone. Leonard probably be gone. But let's say maybe one of them is still on the board just for argument's sake. And maybe guys like Braden Yeager. Would you be how would you how would you feel about trading down a little bit in that situation? I mean, yeah, there, there's again, this is a deep draft. And I think that's another reason why a lot of Canuck fans were upset when they gave up the additional first round pick they had acquired from the New York Islanders in the Bo Horvat trade to go and get um, uh, Heronic uh, because this is a deep draft. Uh, but there are some guys, like you said, Samuel Honzik is another guy. He, he can play center and yeah, wing. Yeah, plays here. But yeah, yeah exactly. He plays here in Vancouver. And yeah. he's a guy, he's a big dude, 6'4", 186 pounds. He's a guy that theoretically could, you know, uh, be as high as a top 10 pick on some boards. But, you know... In this mock draft, he's going at 24th overall. Uh, Edward Soleil is another guy that I think could be good for a winger perspective. Uh, the funny thing about trading back, I don't know if you saw, there was like a post interview after the draft lottery yesterday um, with um, um, Patrick Alvine. And he was saying, and he mentioned about trading up the draft as opposed to hmm. trading back. So I don't know if there's maybe, you know, they really like Ryan Bacher and that's a guy they're looking at. Or maybe, you know, they want to see if they can get it and get Darrell Darrell Dvorsky. Or, I mean, I don't think they'll be able to get Will Smith. Will Smith is one of those guys that I think seemingly has jumped Leo Carlson and is probably going to be a top three pick at this time. Uh, Mitchkov, I don't know if this team can wait for a player like Mitchkov. I believe he signed to like 2028. I, I think they could, and I think if Mitchkoff was there, you you'd take him. Uh, without a doubt, you take him. But I think I think you could. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the most outside of Bedard. He's probably the second most talented player in this draft, like as from a pure talent yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I mean, you, you hear people saying he's like as good as Ovechkin. Um, but I don't think I think someone's going to take a gamble on him before. But I I could totally wait. I mean, you let prospects go and cook in the WHL for a couple of years after you draft them, anyways, right? Like, I mean, yep. isn't it better to have him play cooking in the KHL and then come over? I mean, yeah, it's a couple of years. It's going to take you a while to get him, but when you get him and you could insert him at a very team friendly entry level deal when maybe the team around them is a lot better, and then all of a sudden you insert this talented. 21 year old uh on a wing and at a nine hundred thousand dollar cap hit like i'd be all over that it's a, it's a bit of a it's a long-term play but i think it's a it's a heck of a long-term play and so i i, I trading up i think you're going to see movement of picks because i think that's one of the things that's really interesting with this draft class is i think outside of like obviously bedard's number one and then you got guys like fantilli and smith and carlson that's gonna i think 
I, I well, I mean, who knows, right? But I think that's going to be the top four. After that, like even Mitchkoff, if Mitchkoff doesn't take, get taken at five, uh, there's there's just a whole lot of like moving parts out there uh, of different guys like and who's who's valuing who and i think you're going to see some moving up and down i, I think teams are going to be quite active in in this draft yeah i mean the one team i'm looking at especially if like will smith goes top four uh i'm looking at the montreal canadians and i, I could see them jumping on delbord Dovrovsky. i mean he Played with Slavkovsky last year, um, so there's a connection there. Makes Slavkovsky feel a little bit more comfortable. And like you said, he's a guy that's been rising. I didn't pick him for the Canucks because I don't think he's going to be there. Um, no. I mean, I, I think, and this is kind of a joke, but I would love to see Will Smith end up in Philly just for the Fresh Prince oh, jokes. <laughs> that would be amazing. I know, you've mentioned that before. It yeah. would be awesome. But yeah, I mean, outside of the, the two guys that I'm hoping are there for the Canucks at 11 more than anyone are probably Oliver Moore or Reinbacher. And I think there's a decent chance more can be there. Reinbacher, I don't know. But yeah, I did think it was interesting that Patrick Elvin said yesterday that he's actually looking more at seeing, you know, what the cost would be to move up the draft than move back. Yeah, I, I have a feeling just a feeling that both Reinbacher and Sandine Pelica are going to be gone by the time the Canucks pick just, just a hunch um, from that. Uh, and that's going to make it interesting for Vancouver is uh, if the best player on the board is a winger, uh, do you, do you do that? I just, I, I really hope they don't. I'm, I really want them to take a center defense. I really want them to take a defenseman. Like was Yolevi was the last first round defenseman we took, right? Uh, no Quinn Hughes. Oh, I mean, sorry, yeah, besides he's the... Uh, but yes, yeah, I know, I know, always. I know. I know what you mean. I I, I mean, I, for, I mean, you know, like, just Hughes is so damn good, I, I just kind of forget about him. But, like, besides that, like, guys who, uh, uh, who like, going back from there, I'm just kind of scanning through here. It's been a while. Like, you know who it was the last time uh, the Canucks took? Uh, geez, it was Luke Bourdon before... before all, it was yeah, Luke Bourdon. Uh, yeah. Levy, it was Luke Bourdon, I know. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? Like, geez, Louise. And then before that, like uh, Brian Allen in 1998. So there haven't been a lot. That's four defensemen since 1998 uh, that have have gone in uh, in the first round. I really like you've you know, we look at it and I, I know guys like. Some of the guys in Abbotsford, we've talked about this last episode as well, and how guys like Jet Wu have taken a step. Hey, that's great, but they're still like B-level prospects, right? Like you need to bring in some A-level defenseman prospects at some point. Um, and I, I just, uh, you know, I really would love to see them take one of those guys, Ryan Becker or Sandy Pelica, but I just have a feeling they're both going to be gone by the time Vancouver's turn comes. And then do you make a reach on one of these defensemen, uh, like a like a guy like Tom Willinder? Like, I don't know. Like, I, that just seems uh, to me like it might be a bit of a reach. But I've heard some people say that uh, – I've heard some people – that rank Willander actually higher than Reinbacher. So again, like it's a deep draft. So I mean, else? I know Sat has been on the radio the last couple of days, and he's really high in Willander. He's got him. He you know he didn't say he's necessarily got him higher than Reinbacher, but he's like I have him either in the same tier or just a tier below, and like just a tier below. Um, yeah. I 
Craig Button was Craig Button yeah. was saying the same thing uh, on, the other day on Donnie and Dolly. He was saying that Reinbacker, Sandy Pelican, and Willander are the, the top three. And uh, after that, there's a bit of a gap. Another thing is next year is supposed to be a very good year for defensemen uh, as well. Like there are some proje- projections right now that could have like 20 defensemen in the wow, first round. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at first I was wanting the Canucks to draft a defenseman, but the more I'm thinking about it, I'm I'm actually kind of leaning center. I just think this team really does need a center, especially after trading Bo Horvat. Um, and, you know, Heronic, the addition of Heronic kind of helps the defense a little bit, not necessarily, you know, eight years in the future, but at least helps for the next five, six years in the future. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm kind of leaning center myself. But again, if any of those top two right shot defensemen are available. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Canucks got to jump all over it. I kind of feel like the guys they like are Reinbacher, Oliver Moore and, uh, Delbor Dvorovsky. Those are the three guys that I think, and again, I have no clue, but I just listening to like Donnie and Dolly and kind of Dolly talk about these guys. I know Oliver Moore's already been on with Satin, uh, Riccio, uh, and did a little, uh, local radio hit with them. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I think there's, I think there's a little bit of, uh, love between the Canucks and those players. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think, um, I think those are, I think if any of those guys were available, the Canucks would be pretty keen, but, um, geez, I mean, we're going to have to keep talking about this as we go forward, keep doing research, see how things change, see just kind of, uh, how how the draft board looks but it's going to be pretty wild man like there there's uh i think teams are gonna have very different rankings uh across the the board um i'm i'm excited to to see what happens here um hey i mentioned jet woo earlier we never uh we haven't actually talked about abbotsford as well uh the the abbey canucks put out a pretty tough series against calgary went uh they lost in in five games so uh, sorry four games because the five, best of five series they lost three one one thing i'm noting every game in that series was a one goal game uh they were all one goal games there uh which i, I thought was was pretty interesting yeah i mean look i think abbotsford overall played pretty well i think it was game two against the wranglers where they had come back or they either they gave up i think they had scored late or they gave up uh a goal late to the Wranglers who got it to overtime and then they lost in overtime. And I think that really crushed them. That put them down to nothing. Uh, they won yeah. game three at home and then yeah, essentially lost uh, game four at home. Uh, I think it was a successful season for the Abbotsford Canucks overall. The Wranglers were the best team in, I believe their conference um, for the AHL. So they were the underdog going in. Um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the younger guys that were on the team took some strides this year. I think guys like Hoglander, you know, took some big strides, even though he got sent down to the AHL. I think he kind of slowly started to develop. You mentioned Jet Wu is a guy that I know like Faber has been kind of talking about as a guy who seemed to have really kind of took a step this year. Klimovich scored 17 goals his second year. I mean, I think people forget Klimovich is only 20 years old. Like he's still a young guy. 19. 19. There you go. So he hasn't even turned 20 yet. Uh, Pod Colson, who was papered down and meant to join the team, obviously got injured at the end of the year with the Vancouver Canucks, so he couldn't play any games. So that's kind of disappointing. Um, Yeah, like, uh, I think think they looked good. Like, overall, I think, you know, Arshdeep Baines was a guy who was very underrated as far as, you know, driving the play and, 
helping his line mates produce goals and being a good two-way player. Um, the guy we got in the um, Darlene, Darlene trade all those years ago, I forget his name right now, um, not Carlson. Uh, Linus, yeah, Linus Carlson. Carlson. It is Linus Carlson, yes. Um, he was great. Yeah. You know, It was his first year in the AHL, first year playing in North America. He had a really good rookie season as well. And yeah, I think Jeremy Culleton's got a lot to build on. I think, uh, did you catch any of uh, the interviews today with Johnson and Colleton? No, I didn't. I only caught bits of them, but um, I like a lot of things that Johnson said about knowing what their role is and uh, how she praised the Sedins for being involved in uh, what they're trying to do with the organization and develop these players. And uh, for me, this is something that I've been longing to hear from this organization for a while because as much, well, as important as it is to draft players, it's important to develop them as well and put them in situations where you're not rushing players. And I know in the past I've referenced Detroit and Pittsburgh as, as successful organizations to do this in the past is to let guys cook. And this is what, you know, by sending Hoglander down, who led the team in playoff scoring as well, and putting guys in there and putting them with a good coaching system and, and guys like the Twins who can develop them, this is good to see. Um, and again, we don't really have, like, like Hoglander is probably the best prospect. And, I mean, he, I know he's played a bunch in the NHL. We don't have a lot of blue chippers down there. But I do think uh, that this is you got to start with it, right? And I think what they've done, and especially with some of these guys uh, that some people may have written off or overlooked a little bit, um, like Linus Carlson is a good example, um, and even Klimovich, uh, like you said, uh, I think I think it's uh, it's good to see. And so, um, you know, I, I like that we have the team here. I like what they've done with it this year, um, and I'm curious to see who they have on the roster next year. Well, and Aiden McDonough is going to play probably a full year down in the AHL next year, so we get to see him develop. Uh, Jack Rathbone, I know he was injured, and you know there's been speculation that him and the organization are kind of not on the best terms at the moment, or there's been a little bit of friction between both of them. Um, there was the other defenseman, Philip, uh, I forget. Johansson. Johansson, he came over, played a couple of games, um, in the playoffs for Abbotsford. So there is some young guys there. Obviously, Akita Hirose, who played a few games at the end of the year for Vancouver. Uh, some of these college free agents the Canucks signed, I think they could help with this team. You're right, though. There is no blue chip prospect down there. There's no, like, you know, Jonathan LeCaramacchi down there at the moment or anything for, like that for the Canucks. But there's some good, young, talented guys. Another guy that I think I, I did see one little snippet. Actually, I kind of liked because I did see one quote. I think uh, Ryan Johnson was asked about uh, Connor Lockhart, who mm-hmm. was drafted a couple of years ago. I believe he plays in the OHL. Um, yeah. He's been a good player, uh, at least for his OHL career. Uh, and, and there was talk about whether or not they were going to sign him. And Ryan Johnson said that's definitely something they are planning to discuss uh, in the offseason and see where Connor, a guy like Connor Lockhart would fit in on the club. But uh, yeah, like there is no foundational blue chip prospect down there, but there's a collection of guys that can be really good NHLers if they develop the right way. And I think development is almost more important than where you're drafting. I look at the mid-2000 Edmonton Oilers when they got like three first overall picks. Taylor Hall, um, Ryan Hopkins. 
nail Yakupov, who was a legitimate bust. I don't know if development would have helped with Yakupov, but Hall, uh, Nuge, Jordan Eberle, there was the defenseman, I forget his name, he's in Pittsburgh now, but uh, he was a- Justin Schultz. They didn't draft him, but he uh, signed as a free agent because he refused to sign. I think it was Nashville who drafted him and he didn't want to sign with Nashville. Regardless, that team on paper should have really done something and they didn't. And I think a lot of that had to do with all those guys. And we've seen this with this recent iteration of the Canucks. All their top prospects were rushed to the NHL and they weren't prepared to actually develop slowly. Now, I know a guy like Taylor Hall, you know, he's not going to go down to the AHL and play games down there. But some of these other guys probably should have spent more time in the AHL and didn't. And that's why that team is, you know, sure they were lucky and got gifted Connor Bedard however many years later, or not Connor Bedard, uh, Connor McDavid however many years later. But (laughs) yeah, they're a team, you know, early on, they weren't developing their players properly. And I think it really showed. And Pittsburgh and Detroit have been those teams generally over the years that really let those guys simmer. Connor McDavid, never heard of him. I'll uh, have to look that guy up. Um, you mentioned Lee Karamaki in there. He signed. Um, and uh, from what I understand, the plan is uh, to bring him into camp, but loan him out to a team in the SHL next year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that he signed his entry-level contract. It sounds like he's going to look to make a move to a different team and leave Jurgarden, which probably is a good thing. I, I He struggled this year. It's nice to see... The end of his year was very positive and he kind of looked like he got his confidence back and he was going to the hard to play areas again, which is great. Um, I think next year is going to be a really important year for his development and hopefully some of the positive strides he took at the end of this year, he's going to be able to continue out the gate next year. I would prefer if he would come over here and play in North America. Uh, that's some of the thing, you know, it's, it's th- something that's a little bit frustrating. I find with some of the European players, usually it's the mo- mostly the Swedish players. I feel like they spend a couple of years in Sweden and not that the SHL is in the great league. It is, it's arguably, you know, the third best league in the world outside of the NHL and the KHL, I guess, if you're looking at sheer talent, but again, the North American game is a little bit different. Uh, the ice is obviously smaller. Uh, and it's just nicer to have your prospects over here so you can kind of get more of a handle on their development. And, you know, having two guys like Daniel and Henrik Sedin being the forefront of helping some of these young guys development, like Ryan Johnson said today, is is great. So I'm a little bit disappointed that he's not coming over here, but I get it. You know, one more year in Sweden isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think, you know, the way I look at it, uh, every player is different. Um, LaCara Mackey, I think, is going to be very excited coming over here for camp and seeing Patterson, who he said was his favorite player, and the Twins among about 2,000 other Swedes that the Canucks will have in camp. But I, I do think every player is different. And if you're an 18, 19 year old and you have a chance to play in the Swedish league, that's really being your first dream. And you know that that's kind of you have that opportunity before going pro. I mean, LeCare Mackey's not going to be a Canuck next year. So give him another year in Sweden. I'm okay with that. But maybe you're kind of saying, hey, we'll do it for one more year. But after that, we expect you to come over to North America, but we'll give you another year. Maybe that's the wording. So I'm, I'm okay with it, uh, at least for next year. But I get what you're saying. It's nice to have all your prospects close to home, but I don't think uh, there's any rush to get LeCaramacchi in an NHL game, certainly not next year. So I'm okay with him hanging out in Sweden 
for for another year, um, especially with uh, how his game was improving. I think if there was more concern about him, uh, I mean, obviously he got hot as the season went on and he had a much better finish than start. Uh, I think if they're, they're sounds like they're comfortable with having him play in Sweden, I'm okay with that. If there was more concern about his development, then yeah, maybe uh, say no. We're we're gonna we're gonna sign you, but you you got to come over here. But it, it, there's a lot to say about making those kids happy and uh, making them uh, you know feel apart. And I mean, bringing him over, getting his toes wet, having him spend time with Petey and the twins, uh, among others. Uh, I think that could really do wonders for his game. See what it's like. It's like, oh shit, this is the NHL pace. This is where I got to be. That this is the back checking. This is, this is what I got to work on. Taking that back to Sweden, where he it may be a better fit for him competitively as opposed to the AHL. I- I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I know the Canucks do have Michael Samuelsson over there in Sweden as well. So I think he checks in with a lot of these Swedish prospects they have and maybe helps with some of their training and stuff like that, or advises them maybe on some training and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. Again, I'm okay with it too. I just, I like, you know, building team chemistry and getting used to the smaller ice surfaces and playing more of a defensive responsible game where I think a lot, often a lot of these teams in Europe and a lot of these leagues in Europe, you're not getting that two way play taught to the players at a younger age. It's kind of more wide open freewheeling, which again, you know, it's good and it's entertaining, but often that's what ends up preventing you from becoming an everyday NHL player or having the coach trust you in key situations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, but I think one more year where he is, uh, we'll see where it goes, man. I just, I just hope he has a great year, uh, in Sweden, regardless, uh, of, of anything else. Um, one other Canuck that, uh, different, different, um, different kind of part of his career. And we talked about this a bit last episode. Uh, Travis Dermott sounds like is not going to be qualified. I, th- I think I said it was a 1.65 million. I think I saw someone else say it was a 1.75 million qualifying offer. Regardless, too rich for a guy who has only played, I think, 27 games, we said, for, for the Canucks over a season and a bit. Uh, it, it sucks because, I mean, we gave up the third rounder. A lot of people didn't like that trade. I thought it was worth the risk at the time, uh, but it really hasn't gone as planned with Dermot. And Dermot joins a long list of long injuries his team seems to have sustained over the last couple of years. Yeah, like you said, I'm not really surprised. I hope and wish him nothing but good luck and good he- good health moving forward. Uh, that qualifying offer, it's 1.6, 1.75. The Canucks are already going to be over the cap heading into next year, and they got to figure a way to become cap compliant. And signing a guy like Dermot to a qualifying offer just doesn't make sense. No, it's all the best to him. I know friend of the show, Cody Sweet's a big fan of, of Travis Dermott, uh, but it, it just doesn't make sense to bring him back, uh, especially with some of these AHL call-ups we saw being a lot more serviceable, serviceable uh, guys like Christian Willan, and, uh, and you know, hopefully we get to see a bit more of Jack Rathbone. Um, it opens up a little bit more competition for a spot at, likely half the price because you know if he qualified Dermot he's going to sign that at that deal because uh, I don't think uh, he's going to get that on the open market but uh, if he does good for him a um, couple of trophies out there as well hits and misses I want to mention uh, Elias Pettersson is the Canucks nominee for the King Clancy award uh, that every team 
gets a nominee for that. Uh, I just thought that was pretty cool that it went to Petey. Um, I know I said this to you before we went on, but it's the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution to his community. So, hey, that's good to see. And again, we talked about Canucks leadership coming from its core. So uh, that that's nice that Petey gets mention there uh he didn't get a mention for the selkie i mean i'm sure he'll get some votes and hughes didn't get a mention for the norris um i I think again you know if the canucks were a playoff team i think uh, maybe they would have both been in there but um it it still kind of sucks because um i mean hughes finishes the second leading defenseman scorer and he didn't get a a nod for the norris and petterson uh was uh, led the league in shorthanded points and he didn't get a nod for the selkie but I think their time is coming on both of them. It's just too bad, not yet. Yeah, I mean, look, I I know Makar had an incredible season last year. Um, won the Norris Trophy, ended up winning um, the Conn Smythe Trophy in the Avalanche playoff run. I don't think he should have been nominated for no the for the Norris he twenty two games. Exactly, and I think it was just more of his namesake that got him that nomination. Adam Fox was good, but I mean, was he as good as Quinn Hughes? I think so. The fact that New York was a playoff team, I think that's why he probably got the nod over Quinn Hughes. I mean, my three, and again, I know San Jose was awful. I just think the point total that Carlson put up this year, you couldn't ignore that. So I understand why he gets the nod. My other two would have been Miro Heiskanen and Quinn Hughes. That would have been my two nominees for the Norris if I had a vote, which I don't. But hey, NHL, Writers Guild, Pete and I, you know. Yeah, give us, we, give we us would a love votes. a vote. You know, it's funny. I also had Josh Morrissey ahead of Fox and McCarr. Um, I had Heiskanen, uh, Hughes, and Morrissey. Um, and again, if I was really, it would it would have been tough for me not to put Morrissey in there because the Jets made the playoffs. Uh, Heiskanen certainly deserves it, I think. The guy is just an incredible all purpose defenseman and we'll see if he's back in this series it sounds like he will be playing in a, a game four uh, but I had all three of those guys at a Fox and McCarr I was really quite surprised to see McCarr get there I know points per game wise for a defenseman who played at least half the year I think he led the league I think he had like 67 points in 60 games so you know he's pacing for uh, another 80 90 point season but he missed 22 games he shouldn't have been in there. Great defenseman, uh, but I would have given it to any of those guys, Heiskin and Morrissey or Hughes over McCarr. And it probably I had all three of those guys ahead of Adam Fox as well. Yeah, and then Marner for the Selkie. I don't know, dude. That one, I when I saw that, I, I, I you know, no Marner. I think he's a serviceable penalty killer, but I mean, he's not. I don't think a Marner is a great two way player. And there's a ton of players in the league I would have given. Uh, PD obviously being one of them, but there's other guys like Rupe Hints would have been a guy mm. I would have probably looked at for a Selkie nomination over Mitch Marner. Um, yeah, I was just, I was really surprised. I mean, I was Nugent Hopkins nominated. No, but he's another guy who I would have put a, put ahead of um, Marner. That, that was a guy who I thought had a really solid two-way game this year. Look, uh, one of the things that like people were saying about PD is like, oh, well, his face-off percentage wasn't that good, 44%. Mitch Marner took four faceoffs. I know he's a winger, but he lost all four. <laughs> but I don't think faceoff percentage is really a factor into the Selkie. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I've never until this year heard people talking about faceoff percentage for the Selkie. Um, it, it it just feels like uh, yeah. Again, 
it, it, there's a lot of good players. And of course, we're looking at this with, with Homer glasses on. But um, I, I thought there was a more of a case for Pedersen for Selkie even than there was for Hughes for Norris. And Hughes was the second leading defenseman. I will say if the Canucks, uh, these guys continue to get better, which they will, and we're seeing this, uh, and the Canucks can actually get towards a playoff spot, I think... Um, I think I don't think this is the end of them being nominated for the or getting a chance to be nominated, and they're going to get votes. But uh, I, I think next year, both those guys watch it. They should be in uh, Selkie and Norris conversation again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're only they should only get better from here, and I think they should. I, I'm sure, like you said, they'll get votes, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially if this Canuck team next year is a playoff team. I wouldn't be surprised if they're at least one of the finalists for either of those trophies. Do we want to, a uh, couple, of, couple of things before we get to the free pour here. Uh, do we want to talk about the $50,000 fine? I mean, I, th- I just think it's funny because it was it like is. a week after the season ended. It's not like it was like, you know, let's say a week or, you know, a month before training camp opened. It was literally like a week or two after the season had officially ended. And I guess there was an illegal practice or something like that. Like the details are a little bit hazy as far as what happened. You know, I know a lot of people are saying, well, who, who told, right? Like, I mean, if the players, why would the players tell? They didn't have to show up. Obviously it was not legal for them to show up. We saw this this year earlier with uh, Toronto. I believe there was, they were on the road and they took a flight out early. I don't think, or maybe late or something like that. They did something where they got extra sleep. And I remember the league fined them this year for it. I think it was 50 K as well. Um, but yeah, it was to try to get their players some extra rest. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think they, I, I feel like they either left early or left late. It was something like that. They were trying to get home or something. Um, and I remember them getting a bit of uh, a 50 K fine, I think it's kind of a joke. I get it. It's in the CBA yeah. to protect the players, all that stuff. But I mean, if the players willingly wanted to partake in this practice or whatever it was they were doing, I don't know. I, I think it should be fine. I know the league did say that if it happens again, the fine will be exponentially higher. So this is kind of like slap on the wrist territory. But I mean, I like it. It shows that, you know, some of these guys are buying into, you know, want to put in that extra work come the off season and, you know, talk it, said it in some of his postseason pressers that, hey, it's up to these guys to come in early and start training because technically I can't do it due to the CBA. Yeah, I think I think the whole thing is pretty funny, too. It sounds like it was an on ice workout. Six or seven players with the Sedines. Uh, I've heard Jack Stadnika and Dakota Josh were there. So, you know, you're kind of talking these third, fourth liner guys. Uh, for me, it's $50,000 well spent. Uh, I, I see the usual voices out there getting all up in arms about it and calling this organization a joke. I mean, who cares? It's Aquilini's money. I mean, most of us don't like Aquilini, right? So, like, who cares? I mean, he's paying $50,000 for a fine. Yeah, big whoop. Uh, yeah, for me, it's uh, it was just kind of uh, the usual kind of meltdowns out there. But for me, it's it's $50,000. Yeah, I mean, look, if they if they were stripped of a draft yes. pick for doing this, then yeah, I would be outraged. I'd be pissed. A hundred percent. Of course, we all. But it, it doesn't affect anything on the ice. So I, if anything, no. it, it makes them a little better. Right. So for me, it's it's uh, it's a whatever. But yes, if you're if we we're talking losing draft picks or something, I'd be pissed. Yeah, of course. And apparently the Canucks don't have a player rep for the, the PA. So maybe this uh, 
uh, get them themselves in gear. Uh, last thing, I know um, this isn't Canucks related. Just one last thing before the free pour: BCJHL becoming uh, independent league, leaving Hockey Canada. Uh, I just wanted to get that in there because the BCJHL has always been a kind of a unique league uh, in terms of an option for players who want to go to NCAA going through the BCJHL. First, there have been a lot of high draft picks coming out of the BCJ. Growing up in Victoria, that's what we had for a long time once uh, the WHL left before it came back. Um, but by going independent now from Hockey Canada, it allows them to recruit even more. Um, and this is actually probably a pretty good thing for BC hockey. So I'm uh, I'm curious to see where this goes and what they do with it. So uh yeah, just wanted to kind of get that in there. This is a, it's an interesting move, and uh, but it's not a bad move for them. And uh, this it allows them a larger area to recruit from, and continues to give options for guys, and then in between before going to the NCAA. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't know a ton about the BCHL. I know um, there's been a couple of players that have come out of the BCHL. Uh, I'm trying to think of the guy. I think he was drafted by the Nashville. Predators, and then he ended up signing a big contract with the Ottawa Senators. Um, he was a, a local kid. Um, I, I can't think of his name right now. Anyways, yeah, I'm the guy who always forgets the names. I know you mispronounce them. Are you thinking of Kyle Turris? Kyle Turris, thank you very much. Wow, you're good at that. I remember um, most yeah, BCJ. Kyle most, I remember most high guys that came out of the BCJ. Yeah, so he's a guy that I remember came out of the BCJHL. Um, obviously, uh, Cliff Ronning way back in the day came out of the BCJHL um, and then as did uh, Tyson Jost. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably, like you said, giving some of these kids more options, which is good. Um, and yeah, I'm wondering how it'll all turn out in the end. Yeah, it's just something I wanted to get in there and just uh, something to keep an eye on in in this province uh, moving forward. Um, with all that, Doug, uh, it's time for us to take it to the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about the new Zelda game that is going to be coming out this Friday, Tears of the Kingdom. Um, I obviously, Zelda is one of those iconic franchises and video games. I'm extremely excited for the game. Um, I've already got mine on pre order for Friday, which is great. Uh, I played Breath of the Wild, which was an amazing open world, kind of a first time open world thing for Zelda, which was really, really good. Uh, Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I've seen some trailers. There's some new mechanics in the game that make it look really fun. Uh, You can like build your own crafts and stuff like that and like fuse weapons together to make really and the combinations seemingly are endless, at least from the trailers I've seen. So yeah, man, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom comes out this Friday. I will definitely be getting it day one. All right. Well, I guess we're uh, going to be tougher to find recording dates as well. Um, I wanted to just talk about something kind of a little random. And I know this is something that you and I both like uh, and, and follow a bit. Uh, but a week or two ago, the Pentagon released some more UFO videos and more footage. And I've always, like, man, I've always had a fascination with UFOs. I remember my granddad uh, over in New York had a whole bunch of UFO books, and I think that maybe started to kind of stoke my curiosity. But what I find really interesting is just the way the Pentagon is releasing them over time here and just also 
the kind of general attitude that people have towards them uh, as we kind of get older and older here. And, and again, UFO doesn't necessarily mean it's alien. And the Pentagon has said we don't believe it's alien. But they release these videos and they're showing those like, well, what is this? You know, you see this disc go whooping across the screen. Like, is it a, is it a drone? Is it an orb? What, like, what, what is it? And, um, I think these things are really interesting. If you haven't checked it out, uh, go online. It's very easy to find uh, the, the new Pentagon videos. But yeah, if you ever want to go down some rabbit holes with UFOs, I know uh, uh, give me and Doug a shout, and I'm sure I'm sure we'll be down at the table to, to go all down all sorts of weird little rabbit holes with that stuff with you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 143, that's season four, episode 24 of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast, just about in the books. And Doug, I know we're going to keep this brief, so you can use this outro song that we got going in the background. Uh, But just before we go, Ottawa Senators, uh, a lot of fun stuff happening there. I know welcome to Wrexham guy, local guy Ryan Reynolds is involved. Um, The Weekend, another Canadian is apparently now involved over there as well. Uh, But I also want to just kind of focus on Snoop, uh, who's also involved. And you you caught some of the interviews from Snoop, uh, I assume, and what he he was saying about hockey and and being a part of the Sens. Did you catch any of that? I I did, yeah. He was on ESPN with... um, um, And I'm awful at remembering people's names at uh, at times. Uh, Stephen A. Smith. And, you know, he was just talking about how he's actually always been a hockey fan. I mean, you think of that gin and juice video from the 90s. He's wearing a Pittsburgh Penguins jersey. Um, And he wants to see more players look like him to play hockey. And I think he is a legitimate hockey fan. I mean, he's always repped hockey well. I know he did some stuff with the Anaheim Ducks. There was that whole thing with the all-star game in California a couple years ago where I think he dropped some F-bombs and stuff like that and Scott Oak was kind of just left like a deer staring in headlights it was pretty funny but yeah I love it man and you know The Weeknd or whoever one of these big celebrities that is seemingly interested in purchasing the Ottawa Senators I think it'll be great for hockey and I think a guy like Snoop I think it would be really cool and you know you would love to see more people of color end up embracing hockey and making it a bigger thing especially in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, uh, I loved what he said and how he wants to start up uh, a Snoop uh, hockey league for kids as well. And he said, you know, more people that look like him and just how he's always liked the game. There's that one classic interview with uh, him and Scott Oak in the crowd where uh, Scott Oak was pretty well prepped for it. And uh, I thought that was great. I just think, I think, you know, it's nice to see guys like that who are big hockey fans. Um, I hope we see him in some sort of role. And I hope regardless, even if he's not at the league, is able to use a guy like him more because, like you said, that's really good for hockey. Uh, folks, you can follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter. And do make sure to check out our really awesome Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. You can find that on Spotify. I listen to it all the time at work, man. It just keeps getting better and better. And uh, Doug will be adding on this jam to it as well. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ben. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.